Today we are finishing up our Advent sermon series as we head into the week of Christmas celebration. So Advent is intended to be a time of preparation. Now, there is a ton of preparation that preparations that are made in this month of December. So there's food prep that's going on, there's buying gifts, there's planning family get-togethers, there's music programs, and the list goes on and on. A ton of preparations that are going on. Now with all the preparations and other busyness of this month, it's easy for us to get, just get caught up in the rush of activity. It's easy for us to bounce from one event to the next activity. The pace of December is prohibitive in allowing us to pause and to consider why it is that we're doing everything that we are doing throughout this month. And this is dangerous. For one, it's dangerous because we've talked repeatedly in this series about the wisdom of God putting into our everyday rhythms this annoying reality of waiting. We just don't like to wait. We're not good at waiting. And what we need to do every day, including during this busy season of December, is we need to be able to stop. We need to be able to fix our eyes on Jesus. We need to be reminded that all of this is not about us. We say regularly here at Center Church, what we're doing here, it's not about you. It's for you, but it's not about you. It's about Jesus, and Jesus is for us. So it's dangerous. December can be dangerous because it stops us causes us to not be able to really fixate on Jesus. It's also dangerous because we're always thinking about the next thing that needs to be done. What's on the list, right? Get to that next thing. And eventually this type of thinking will begin to shape our idea of faith, of the Christian life. And the way in which this becomes dangerous for us in our everyday life of faith is we begin to think that the Christian life is about what we need to do. The Christian life is about us doing things. We begin to think, even if it's unconscious, that the most important things in the Christian life are the things that we do for God. And that is not the most important thing in the Christian life. What we do is not the most important thing in the Christian life. And the verse that we're going to be looking at today is a great illustration for us as to how we do this, how we want to orient our lives around us and the things that we do. Our Advent theme for today is love. And we're ending on this theme because the Bible teaches us that love is ultimate. 1 Corinthians 13.13 says this, So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. So love is instrumental to the gospel. The gospel is something we talk about all the time here at Center Church. So when we say gospel, we're talking about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. That is what the gospel is. So love is instrumental 
to the gospel, but, but I should say God's love is instrumental to the gospel. All of us long for love. There's endless stories that have been written as someone searches for love, or endless stories celebrating someone's undeserved love. And these are cultural stories, right? Like the, the movies that we watch, the songs that we listen to, the books we read over and over and over, they're filled with these stories of love. And that's because there's something yearning inside all of us. We yearn for true love. There's a hunger inside of us. And it's a reality that affects how we live our lives every single day. We feel this. In marriage, we long for love. In friendships, we long for love. As single people, we long for love. As children and as parents, as friends, we are longing for love all the time. So, we're talking about love today, and if you grew up in church, you might expect a pastor to go to John 3.16, which is what we read earlier, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him. And, and I would say that would be really close to where we're going to be this morning. But we're going to go to another book written by the individual named John. And this is also 3.16, but it's 1 John 3.16. And this says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for others. Let's pray. God, thanks so much for this verse. Thanks so much for how it fits into the whole story of the Bible. That it is not just one verse, but this is supporting the same idea that we are hearing over and over and over. The whole Bible is centered in on Jesus. True love is depicted in and through his life, death, and resurrection. And I pray that you would help us to see that as we work through this verse this morning. Amen. Okay, so... When we read a verse like this, there's a tendency in all of us for us to begin to look for, what do I need to do? Right? That, that's what we oftentimes look for in a verse. And this is what I was referring to earlier as we get caught up in the busyness of December. We just want to complete tasks on the task list. We want to do stuff. And we think this is what is important in the Christian life. All those things that God has called us to do. And so we read a verse like 1 John 3.16 and it kind of scratches this itch. This moralistic itch that makes us feel like we can do something impressive for God. It suggests, it suggests that we can make ourselves significant in some ways. And how do we do that? Well, it seems this verse is telling us that we should lay down our life for others. Okay, and I think that's where many of us would kind of focus in on when we read a verse like this. Lay down our life for others. Okay, that's what I need to do. All right, so I, I want to come against this way of thinking. So I've got three responses to come against us focusing on just this part of the verse. So first of all, we may read here at, uh, in this verse, at the beginning of, of this instruction, 
we read, we ought. And, and we could read that and maybe we'll think, well, there's a little bit of wiggle room there for us, right? It's easy for us with our propensity for justifying ourselves, and we all do that, to conclude that maybe ought here is more of a suggestion. It's not really a hard command, is it? Yeah, like God's not actually telling us to do this all the time, maybe some of the time, but maybe not all the time. And so there's this tendency in us to kind of make it say what we want it to say. And I would remind us, when we do this, when we find ourselves doing this in these types of instances in the Bible, that we would remind ourselves of the fatal words of Satan in Genesis 3.1 as he sought to entice Eve into sin. Right? Satan comes to her and he says, did God actually say? Did he actually say that? And, and simply what Satan is trying to do is he's trying to seed, sow seeds of doubt in Eve. To make her think and Adam think like, well, maybe it's actually okay for you not to do what God said. So, we ought not to read this ought in 1 John 3.16 as a mere suggestion. Okay, it's not just a suggestion. So, there is actually a call here for us to lay our life, our lives down. But, Secondly, we might also read this call to lay our lives down in a way where we lower the bar or we begin to think of this in maybe in subjective terms. And what I mean with this is we have a tendency to compare ourselves to someone else. So what we'll do is we identify sometimes or oftentimes unconsciously someone who we deem as more selfish than ourselves. Right? As it pertains to this verse, we'll find someone who we think is more selfish than us. And then we'll focus in on the ways in which we are superior to them in this regard. How we are less selfish than this individual. And then, by doing this, we have ensured we will be laying down our lives to a greater degree than this person. And so then we're, we're completing the task, Right? But upon close examination of this verse, and we're going to do this a bit more in just a little bit, that's not the metric used here to define laying down one's life. We don't just get to find someone else on the street and say, well, they're not laying their lives down, and, so, and then subjectively say, well, I'm doing it more than that person, right? That, that's not what this verse is saying. Okay, so, so it's not a subjective uh, instruction for us. Thirdly, we may tend to lay our lives down for people who care for us in a meaningful way. Okay, so essentially, we serve someone else because we know there's going to be a kickback for us. The idea is, you scratch my back, and I'm going to scratch your back. This is what we would call a transaction. Okay? It's not actually laying one's life down for someone else. This is simply a business decision that's going on when we're viewing instruction in this way. There's a benefit that's being experienced by both parties in this transaction. And how we're looking at this, we could also say this is viewed as manipulation. Right? Now, sadly, this happens all too often in our culture. 
in friendships it happens, in marriages as well. This happens all too often. But I would want to distinguish here a difference between manipulation and compromise, okay? So husbands and wives will oftentimes make compromises, but compromises are known. They're stated. They're agreed upon, right? Manipulation is not. I'm going to try and do something to get my spouse to act in a certain way, to make her think that I'm actually loving her when really I'm just trying to get something back from her. So what I hope we can see in this moralistic approach to reading a verse like this is it becomes all about us. Reading the Bible moralistically, reading this verse moralistically, it becomes about what we want, what we can gain, and also what we can protect ourselves from. So it's not actually about others at all. It just becomes about us and what we want. It's not about the person on the other end, the person we're called to lay our lives down. It's simply about us. And it's masqueraded as us laying our lives down for someone else. So here's what I want us to understand. True love costs something. Love requires sacrifice. To love someone means we have to give something up. My wife and my kids, they... They like it when I give them back rubs, okay? This is going to sound like I'm tooting my horn, but I'll, I'll come back, and it's not, about, it's not about that, okay? So they like it when I give them back rubs. So uh, just this past week, one of my kids, he was trying to debate who he wanted um, to put him to bed, which, which one of us he wanted to put him to bed. And so he, he was thinking about the back rub. And he's like, well... And this is what he said. He said, Dad just knows where to push and how hard to push on my back. And so he was like choosing me because, because of the back rub, right? And so now, me being able to give back rubs that my wife and my kids like, like, like I didn't just wake up one day and figure out how to do this. I, it required observation. It required Learning. Some of this was having other people give me back rubs and, and thinking like, oh, that, that feels good. I like that thing. And so logging that away. Like then I know other people probably will like this. Maybe not, but oftentimes they probably do. But then also just like observing my kids, studying my kids and my wife. What do they like as well? And so it costs something, right? Like, like I had to learn. I had to study and, and now, even today, when I give them a back rub, it's probably going to uh, require cramps in my hand at times, right? Like, I don't do this all day. It's not my job. Like, my hands are going to hurt when I do this for them. Now, this is no great sacrifice, all right? I'm just simply trying to illustrate that to love someone in a way that is meaningful to them requires sacrifice, True love costs something. We're going to have to give something up. I can take my wife out to eat. And, and I'm probably going to like that, right? I'll probably like the food that we're going to eat. But it's still going to cost something for me to do that. My wife and I love to give thoughtful Christmas presents 
to our kids. But those cost something as well. Yes, money, but also time and intention and conversation for us to plan this out financially and and for us to be able to really know our kids in these ways. Love costs us something always. You cannot love someone without giving something up. Otherwise, it's not love. It's not truly love. And so this might cause some of us to to stop and think like, wow, am I actually loving someone? Probably not a lot of times. Like we're sinful people. And we got to get over ourselves. And I would hope that this would cause us to really think about our friendships and our marriages and our child-parent relationships and to wrestle with, do I actually love? Am I actually loving the other? And if we find ourselves seeing self-interest, and I guarantee you, you will find it if you honestly look into your heart. I hope it compels confession of sin, humility, a willingness to die to yourself, to make it about someone else. I hope that we can be moved to see and say, it's not about me. Yes, for us to humble ourselves, it's going to be hard. We're going to have to admit, I was wrong. I have been selfish. It's going to be hard. It's going to be awkward. It's going to be uncomfortable. But that's what love is. Love is hard. Love is awkward at times. Love is uncomfortable. But it's also worth it. It's also worth it. Sharing nearness and closeness with someone else. Having someone sacrifice for you. There is nothing like it. And there's a reason it's so foundational within the Christian faith. There's a reason why it's a capstone to Advent. 1 John 3.16 provides us a picture of what true love looks like. How do we know what love is, what it looks like? By looking at Jesus. By this we know love, that he, being Jesus, laid down his life for us. This is what love looks like. This is true love. So I want to take just a moment here and consider how Jesus laid his life down for us, especially focusing in on the beginning of his life. So Matthew 1, 18, we read this. Mary was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Okay. Mary was a virgin. This was the plan designed by God for his son to come into this world and to save it. I mean, it's crazy. At best, it's scandalous, right? That this woman is a virgin and she has a baby. Jesus, okay, the one who is to come and live a perfect life so people could be saved from their sins, he comes to a woman who, by his very arrival, 
is going to be questioned. She's going to be accused. She's going to be mocked. She's going to be sneered at. She's going to be laughed at for how she became pregnant. What was that story? Oh, yeah. Like, you can just imagine, right? Like, Jesus teaching authoritatively and saying things, and you've got people in the crowd, like, calling back this story. Oh, yeah, you remember? That's, that's how your mom, like, birthed you, or that, that's how she became pregnant? Snickering, laughing. Like, like, you can just imagine, right? This was God's plan, and it was good. And even in that circumstance, we, f- we find Jesus laying his life down and knowing this is going to be part of his story throughout his life. So Jesus laid his life down. Luke 2.7, okay? This says, Mary gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. Okay, G- Jesus was born by animals. He was born in a barn. This baby who had come to save the world was, even in his birth, disregarded. The one who deserved honor, and this is seen as wise men come and bring him gifts, was dishonored. There wasn't even pity for a baby. Like, who who won't make room for a pregnant woman, for a beautiful little baby? didn't stop Jesus. He laid his life down. And and we can feel this, right? Like, the reality is, we were born in much cushier circumstances than Jesus was. And very clearly, we see him laying his life down. Matthew 2 also tells a story following the birth of Jesus. So there was a king whose name was Herod who claimed he wanted to find this baby king that he had heard about and wanted to find him so that he could then worship this baby. But actually he didn't want to worship him. He wanted to worship himself by getting rid of this baby king because he was terrified. He was so terrified of this little baby that he went to the city where this baby was born and he killed all the male babies, hoping that he would then kill this baby. He was threatened by this baby. And so from the very beginning of Jesus' life, we find him on the run, being forced to lay his life down for others. So... From the very beginning, we see over and over and over Jesus laying his life down. And so it's no surprise that we find Jesus at 33 years of age laying his life down, willingly being killed because he understood the sins of humanity had to be paid for. Your sin. There was no act that you could do to make up for your sins. I and you needed a perfect sacrifice, and Jesus was that perfect sacrifice, and he demonstrated his love for us, for his enemies, by laying his life down. Now, we could look at Jesus and and we could say, he's gaining nothing from dying. What a fool. He's dying for people who hate him. 
And for sure, that was part of what was going on in the first century as he was dying. And we could do that same thing. People around us could do that same thing. But then we're confronted with the fact Jesus was dying for you. Jesus was laying his life down, giving of himself, everything that he had. He's laying it down for us because you needed it. Jesus isn't adding something on to what you can already do. You and I were and are in desperate need of Jesus. There is nothing we can do for ourselves. We needed him to come and lay his life down for us. And so what we see in Jesus is true love. Love that led to his death. And that is costly. It's sacrificial. And that is how we know it's love. That he laid his life down for us. And this is intended to be not just, oh, happy news when we come to this season. This is intended to be the best news every day we are on this earth. And when we understand what this means for us, what Jesus was doing throughout his life, at his death, laying his life down for us, when we under, truly understand what this means for us, the only natural response is to lay our life down for others. So please don't hear duty. Please don't hear obligation. That's not what Jesus is going for. He's not going for, oh, I guess Jesus did this thing for me, so I, I've got to do this thing for him to try and pay him back. That's not Christianity. That is not the gospel. We are not paying Jesus back, ever. He laid his life down for us. And we, in glad submission, response, lay our lives down for him and for others so that others would see Jesus unexpectedly, sacrificially, that they would get glimpses of Jesus in and through our lives. Not, not that they'd see a good Christian. That's not what we're going for. We want them to see Jesus. And yes, that's going to be imperfect. But that's what Jesus does. He works through imperfect people, like his mom right? She was far from perfect, and yet he came into this world through her. All right, we end our sermons here at Center Church with what we call gospel application, okay? This is not typical application at the end of a sermon. So typical application at the end of a sermon might mean Okay, here, here's three or four things that you can do and the inference is so that you can be a good Christian. Okay? The Christian faith is not about what we do. The Christian faith is about Jesus and what he has done for us. So when you walk out of here today, the hope is, is that you're not thinking, here's what I need to do. The hope is you're thinking, Jesus did that for me? That's, that's our goal. 
That's what we want as you're leaving here. Because if you're leaving here thinking about all the things that you need to do, that's a yoke, okay? That's weightiness. That's heaviness. And you can't bear up under that. It'll eventually destroy you. So we want you walking out of here with the best news in the world, knowing that you were loved when you did not deserve it. And that's our gospel application for today. You are loved. You are loved. And and I know that I can say that, and that can just kind of like go right over our heads, go right by us. That can be an inconsequential statement. It's not intended to be. You are loved. It's so easy for us to read 1 John 3.16 and conclude this sermon with, you need to love people better. I mean, if Jesus loved you that much, don't you think you could love a little bit better? And there's no good news there. Our unrelenting belief at Center Church is that our love for others will take care of itself. It will take care of itself. If only we are confronted with the amazing, ridiculous, undeserved love of Jesus towards us. Because there's nothing like it. And we need it to change us. And this is why every Sunday we come back to this. This is the one sermon I preach over and over and over. If I was a band, this would be my one-hit wonder, right? Like, this is all I've got, is Jesus. That's all I've got. But when Jesus grabs hold of us, we will never be the same. So this Christmas, look at Jesus. The baby who was born in a much dirtier, unpleasant place than you were. This Jesus who was hunted from his first days, willingly. This Jesus who willingly takes on all of our sketchy behavior, all of our sin, and all of our resulting shame from our sin as well. He takes all of it upon himself. He forgives. He saves. And this is true love. 1 John 4.10, a few verses after the one we read just a moment ago. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son. The reality is, I know each of us needs to hear this news, that you are loved. Maybe some of us feel this more acutely than others. Some of us are yearning to be loved. Deep down, we feel this ache inside of us. We long to be loved in a meaningful, deep, connected way. All of us, though, are hardened off. All of us struggle to love others at various times, and we need to be confronted with the offensiveness of Jesus' love. You do not deserve to be loved by Jesus. You don't deserve it. You're not going to walk out of here and treat your friends 
parent in such a way that you're like, Jesus, look at me, the angels are singing, the light's shining down. That, that, that's not happening. And I'm not saying that to just beat you up. No, I'm trying to highlight how good Jesus' love is. It's completely undeserved. Completely undeserved. And the reason that's good news is because if it was deserved, there's all these things you need to exhaust yourself doing to keep it up. And the day is going to come when you're disappointing God. And where's your hope then? Because you put your hope in yourself. So stop. Get over yourself. Don't put your hope in yourself. Put your hope in Jesus.